0: well hello everybody today is march 21 2023 and i'm honored to have as my guest my friend Tim naylor who's the president of phoenix f-e-n-i-x phoenix management or what's it called the name of the company
1: phoenix event management
0: phoenix event management which is a toronto-based firm that plans, manages, and executes meetings and sales incentive programs for large and medium medium and large size organizations throughout North America. Now, Kim has been doing this for 30 years, but Lick, him, first of all, thank you for joining us. And can you just tell us a little bit about what you, what your business does and what it did in the past?
1: Sure. And lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, We are an event camp company. We work with corporations only. So there's obviously different types of events that get run through different organizations, Um, but we are strictly corporate. So we run meetings, conferences, trade shows, and sales incentive trips. We develop these programs right from concept through to program planning and execution.
0: So you're the people who come up with the come up with the the program, you walk around with the iPads at the meetings to be certain everyone's in the right places and you handle everything from the resorts and the uh, exactly. events.
1: Yeah, exactly. We start from concept. So really it's about understanding what the business objective is that the organizations are trying to achieve so that we can really come up with the right experience for all of the attendees. So that's right from choosing the location, but also picking if there's any specific rule structure that needs to be laid or set out or whether sponsors are needed or what really the components of the program are. We get involved at every single level and organize and execute all those pieces. So there's a flawless experience by the end where the the program execution takes place.
0: All right, so now how many people usually come to these events?
1: You can get anywhere. I mean, a very small program would probably be somewhere between 50 and 100, but that's not unheard of with, you know, if you're doing executive meetings or sales manager meetings or that type of thing. But we run them all the way up to several thousand uh, at each program.
0: All right. So let's roll back the clock a little. We're in the beginning of 2020, March Mm -hmm. 2020. You're doing all these meetings. And then comes March 13, 2020, and the world shuts down. What did you do in terms of crisis management to um, keep your business on uh, life support?
1: Well, it was obviously a super scary time. Like our business was one of those businesses that were completely shut down. Um, one thing that would be a little different is in Canada, we were shut down also much longer. But what we did was I think it was the end of January, early February, started to see you know some of the signs of what was a scary situation that was taking place overseas. And it was something that was starting to now seep and come across border and across the ocean. And so it was really about not knowing anything, but just knowing that something was coming. So we needed to sit down. I called a meeting with two two of my partners, Lisa and Janet, and sat down and said, we need to just come up with a plan A, B, and C. So it was literally about the unknown and not knowing. But we'd been through, I specifically had been through different, you know, crisis in the past, whether it had been, you know, the, the devastation of September 11th, um, we went through the big crash, market crash in 2008. There were lots of um, crisis that we went through historically. So I knew we had to have a plan. Um, but with the unknown, the plan needed to consist, we came up with three different plans, A, B, and C. So, that we could really just kind of follow whatever took place. So, the idea was for plan A, it was gonna be a short term, lock our doors for a little bit, see what happens. What do we need to do to make sure we can get through a few months of business until we can start up and, and get back to normal? Plan B, of course, was looking at that situation with it being a little bit longer. And plan C was long term, unsure, not knowing how long. How do we keep our staff employed? How do we keep the business running? How do we support our clients? How do we do everything that we need to do to ensure that we can get through it and literally get to a position where we flick the switch so we're ready to go? So obviously not thinking ever we would get to plan C, that is eventually on, in March where we ended up being. And it was fast and it was furious. So I would say that it was crucial that we had that plan in place because had we not, we would not have been, uh, we would not have been prepared. To handle everything that we did, so at that time we had, um, you know, we're a small organization. We have about twenty-five employees, um, but it was really about. But when the twenty-five
0: sh- employees who count for their paycheck, yep, to support them and their families and pay their rent or their mortgages or whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, And and at
1: that time, obviously, there was no mention of any government support or types of subsidies that could help us through it. So we really had to try and figure out a plan on our own um, that we could do that. So uh, we had some office space that was uh, in different places that we were able to sell very quickly. And the market was quite strong still at that time. So we were able to get some additional liquid into the organization so that it would at least stretch out payroll a bit longer. Um, but when it shut down, it shut down like it was truly not knowing anything we could do. But we we spent the first month postponing, calling all the programs that we'd already had pre-booked, making sure that we were able to mitigate any type of loss that our clients wouldn't have to feel. So we would um, you know, postpone the programs, find when we can find a new date for them, um, make sure that they didn't lose any of the deposits or the financial commitment they put in, because at that point, force majeure hadn't been called. So it was really just spending that first month to try and help our clients as much as we possibly could.
0: When did you uh, pivot from plan A which was short term to the medium term to plan C which is the long term because so many of us when they announced everyone should shelter in place many of us thought it would just be a few weeks. I know.
1: Yeah, it was really challenging and and plan C basically evolved. So we jumped into the first plan which was okay, let's just we we have some we have some money. We're going to get through this. Let's just focus on our clients. See what we need to do with our clients. We have very, very strong relationships with our clients, and I felt very secure that in the short term, as partners, we would all work through it together, and it would be a successful transition. Um, but as we started to see that obviously prolong, it was really it was April. It was going into April, so it was only about a month where we thought, okay, we need a different plan here, and it needs to be a plan that can get us through whether it's going to be. Another three months, six months, or three years. Um, so we we were working with one specific client who had said, "You know what? I don't want to lose touch with uh, with my clients. So what are the kind of things that we can do?" Um, and when I started the business, my original business, I started in 1993, and the concept of my business w- was completely started on having packages of programs so that I could make it much easier for me to sell to organizations. So instead of going through saying, hey, you know, what's your need? Do you have a need? Here's what we do. Let's start from concept and develop. What I decided was I decided that I created existing packages. So whether it was for destinations, whether it could be for sporting events, concerts, different ideas, so I could go to organizations and actually sell something that felt a little more tangible. So it was a little easier to sell. So literally, so they would have a, a
0: list to pick from, right? whether it be to go to the Kentucky Derby or Indy 500 or whatever.
1: Right. Or Jamaica for a week or whichever. Exactly. Tons of experience that existed, but took the thinking out of it and just made it really easy for people to just kind of jump in and, and try and experience. So, you know, March 2020 going into April was, you know what, that concept worked 29 years ago or 27 years ago. I think we need to jump in and we need to do that again. Let's create a bunch of packages that we can basically customize around uh, virtual events and we can create experience. So virtual meetings, we knew, was good. we were already on Zoom meetings, um, all the different WebEx, all the different programs, everybody was getting trained. We were learning everything we needed to learn very quickly. Um, we had some, obviously, experience in it, but not as much as we needed for that time. So it was really, okay, let's just create a whole bunch of different events that we can sell virtually and prepackage them. So it makes it really easy. We can get out to a mass group, all of our clients, plus you know, new potential clients and just get it out there so we can start performing virtual events and, and keeping the business going as long as we need to. So that was an indefinite strategy because we knew as long as there was a shutdown, there would be a need for virtual events.
0: So how far in advance do people generally plan these programs? I, I guess at a minimum of a month, and it could be a year or two in advance.
1: Yeah. So for the live programs, we generally get anywhere from six months to a year. And on the you know exceptionally big programs, it can be even two years. Um, but for the virtual events, it started becoming weeks. It was, you know we I, I want to contact, be in touch with my clients. It's already been two, three months since we haven't had anything. Um, or my staff, my salespeople, everybody's working from home. You know, everybody's been displaced, so how do I bring them together? So we had to start operating within a very short timeline uh, and started creating and putting together these events. And the one area we had with those events was we would put kits together. So those kits could consist of obviously all the meeting components, but it would also consist of, you know, a coffee break or, you know, maybe a lunch break, or we would do a cooking class and dinner later that evening, or Uh, A wine tasting, Somali class, lots of different participants
0: would get a box delivered to their house.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. So we would ship all those out and everybody would get those. So I'd have to have, and of course, there was when we were allowed to start being in person, but it was, you know, six feet apart, only so many people in a certain space. And, you know, to begin with, it was really we were doing it ourselves from home. So I would do it from my home, our partners, they were doing it from their home, and we were all just putting it together. And then once we were allowed to at least start having a few people together, um, we could start doing that kidding at least in a smaller group, or we could get things being a little more efficiently done.
0: Now, I guess, I, I guess these meetings, these virtual meetings are cheaper for the sponsors because they don't have to pay for the hotel or? Incredibly cheaper. <laughs> like it was. The airplane or the travel yeah. or?
1: So you didn't have the travel and it was a new way, obviously, of doing business and, and contacting and keeping in touch with their people, whether it be staff or, or clients. But I think the challenge everybody felt was, you know, we were all working from home. We were all disconnected. And as much as it was the best case scenario to fulfill a void for that time, there was there was no question that there were things that obviously were detrimental, where when you're not connecting with your employees, you're not forming that same kind of, you know, loyalty, that same kind of working partnership that you would normally have. And, and that goes the same with clients. You know, you really want to make sure that you get that personal touch as soon as you're able to. Um, So I don't think anybody ever saw the the devaluation of what the live events would bring, but it was a need that filled a void for the time that COVID was happening.
0: Now, I mean, a lot of times these conventions, Mm. the most, important part is just the personal interaction at a cocktail hour or a coffee hour or something like that. And what did you do to replace that and to sell your clients that these virtual meetings would be as beneficial to their participants as the in-person meetings?
1: Mm -hmm. And I I think the strategy was it was never going to be the same type of experience, but it was going to be an experience that replaced what they were used to. And still gave them that touch point, that virtual touch point during a really difficult time. So we did do those, you know, where we would do dinner, we would do cooking classes. So we would hire a top chef and a top chef would come on virtually and everybody would have received all the ingredients to their home, um, fresh ingredients. So they would get it, you know, for a proper timeline. And then after the meeting would take place and everybody would get into social mode and that social mode. Now, the difference here, too, was that because they were at home, often families could join and they could help and do the, the cooking classes with them or some of the experiences with them. So we would ensure that there was always enough ingredients that it would you know, be prepared for a full family or whomever was in that uh, in that household. So it was just hire a chef, get the ingredients there, do the cooking class, enjoy the experiences together, make it interactive. So it's not just, you know, a chef telling you what to do. There was lots of questions, lots of, um, you know, little points and and fun things for people to learn about whatever the specific experience was. And there was, a, there was a lot of laughing. There was a lot of interaction. There was a lot of joy that came from those experiences. And it was able to, you know, for almost three years, keep people in contact and touch point through those programs.
0: It seems like that could have even different benefits because a lot of times people go to these conventions or these meetings and they go without their spouse or their partner and now they're cooking and their spouse or partner's watching them or helping them make whatever they're supposed to make and it becomes <laughs> an event that they enjoy. Now they have a closer affinity to the sponsoring organization their their business or the entity that's doing this
1: exactly and I think it was really appreciated because you know often particularly if spouses are included it's very rare that families are included so this was a time where you're at home you know kids are having a tough time learning virtually this you know there's some strain on households where you're literally locked down together all the time Um, and it was able to create some fun for the family experiences as well as through the organization. And I think that built a whole different level of loyalty, of friendships, of dependability, and really just all of us getting through what we needed to get through together in different ways.
0: And it seems like it it also creates a a better bond because now the participants know their spouses and partners are are their fellow participants. And now they could start, it's a better relationship. And I think it creates stronger ties to the organization.
1: Absolutely. And I'll tell you, this was the one time, and I've been doing this 30 years now. And the amount of new client acquisitions that we did within the first year was astronomical. Like, because we were able to pivot so quickly and jump into these virtual events and experiences, it was within 30 days we started and were able to just get out sort of these prepackaged ideas. So it didn't take a lot of timeline and a lot of thinking. We were able to start executing quickly. So we had so many different clients join us. So it was really, you know, building the relationships that already existed. But it was also an amazing opportunity for us to get all these, you know, new clients, new opportunities and new partnerships going, which have now led us into the, into the live event world.
0: So now have these clients been converted to live event? Most of them.
1: There were some that really just don't do live events typically. So it was an opportunity for them to jump in and, and be able to do these types of programs at an affordable price. So for those clients, we actually still do execute some virtual events. But, uh, but yeah, the majority have all flipped back into live. I would say like 99% have all now gone back into live events. And we have, we have kept the majority of all those client acquisitions
0: we made. So it seems that what you did is that you were following the news. You anticipated that this event would come. You came up with three scenarios, short-term, medium-term, long-term. And then you started preparing offerings that you could send to your clients that could help them adapt and uh, stay in touch with their participants, their employees or their organization members during this process. I guess you were on the phone and emailing (laughs) people constantly. We were on the phone
1: endlessly. I mean, it was and it was it was literally just starting the business all over again like I had done you know, in 1993, it was a grind. It was, you know, you were hitting the ground running, you were doing everything you could to survive. And I truly believe that the trick for our organization was we were ready. So we were prepared, which put us ahead of the game. So when it was time that we decided to flip within those 30 days, most people were still trying to figure out what the survival plan was. So we were able to jump in and just really get ahead of the curve. And, uh, and go as fast as we could to get things moving so that we could support everybody who needed support in both ways. The first way of postponing and not, you know, losing their original investment for the live programs they were doing to then making sure that they could keep into close contact with their, their participants.
0: And it's pretty unique that your business's name is Phoenix and you spell Mm -hmm. it F-E-N-I-X as opposed to P-H-O-E-N-I-X. And that's, Someone or the bird that rose from the dead from the ashes it so was you really recreated your business on the fly
1: yeah, it was, and it's funny because the name did come from you know original areas of crisis management. I had gone through several business acquisitions prior to Phoenix, um, and one very successful one was I had sold to an organization um, and you know we grew to 140 million dollar company. It was a great organization. We were publicly traded, we decided to go private. we went privately um, held and then through a lot of that transition, um, the organization ended up really kind of from a from a cash perspective, a cash flow really kind of failed and and caused a failure that uh, that parts of the organization just couldn't recover from. so, the that that company ended up going bankrupt and you know within a 10day span we had um, basically taken all our clients started a new company started all over again and that was in 2013 right. and right. it was literally that rebuild there and that's where Phoenix came from because we literally had come from the ashes where it was a company that should have been been buried with the failings of it but we were able to keep every single client we had and operate flawlessly
0: right now we talked about some of the things that you did that you're very proud of are there any things you would do differently do differently
1: I mean there's always I think small things along the way that you always kind of wish maybe you improved on in a certain way but I think from the structure of the organization and how we run it. And, you know, there were opportunities where we could have grown much larger and gone with a much larger organization within the last 10 years. And I think that it's been a very strategic decision for us to stay more.
0: I'm not making myself clear then. Ah. As a result of the pandemic, are there any things that you would have done differently?
1: No. No, I think the but I will say one thing that I would have tried. I think it was very, very. It was so hard on people and so hard on employees. I think we had to focus and concentrate so much on our clients and helping our clients that in that first three to six months, I would have loved to have uh, maybe just had more touch points with our own employees um, from a from a personal standpoint, from a connection. But we were all so busy, just. You know, executing and activating that—that—that that, that is one thing. I think that I would have gone back and done differently.
0: I, I envision all of you were like octopuses, reaching out to all different ways and trying to get things done.
1: Yes, we sure yeah. were, and we were twenty-five people doing the work of probably triple that. So but it was—you was...
0: you really didn't have. I mean, you did plan, and it's pretty neat. And I guess obviously you could use these plans when another crisis arrives in the future. I'm not going to say if because there's always something that's going to arise in the future. And it's pretty neat how you planned and you kept in touch and you came up with new ideas. And um, I don't know what else. Is there anything else that you want to add? Because this has been very interesting what you're telling us, very fulfilling.
1: I just think if I was to just give anything from my experience through all the different areas of crisis that have happened over 30 years is that you have to have a plan. And, and I truly believe that the worst thing you can do is wait for something to happen to have a plan. So just have a little library of different plans. If things could occur, what could happen or, you know, short-term catastrophes that you may have to have either short-term or longevity survival. So it's really a survival plan. And I can tell you every time, the one thing that's helped me and us through it is having an incredible, incredible staff that have really just jumped in and taken it upon themselves to be just as, you know, just as ownership towards the organization and its success. And, and, and the, I think it's really about the caring for lack of a better word, but for our clients and making sure that they've always been as unaffected as possible. So I, the most important thing I would say to any organization, small, medium or large, whatever it is, is have a plan,
0: just have a plan. And it's, to me, it's, it seems very evident that you view your, your clients as your partners Yes, and you have an obligation to help them and you view your employees as your partners and you have an obligation to help them. And it also had to be I, for many people at first, it was very difficult working from home because you didn't have the interaction. You couldn't walk down the hallway and say, Kim, what do you think of this or what's happening on that? So that's yeah. pretty impressive. Is there anything yeah. else you want to add? Because this has been great.
1: I think I've thrown it all out there in, in a short period of time but I think, uh, yeah, it was a tough time that everybody went through and got through and, uh, and hopefully now we're all on the other side enjoying new types of growth and and learnings
0: So it's great how you really use this to bolster and uh, grow your business, so this is great So Kim Naylor from Phoenix um, Event Planning, thank you very much and uh, thank you for joining us today
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you.